This is the Doctor Who Podcast, and you are most welcome. Well, this week on the Doctor Who Podcast, Tom and I are going to be looking at a trilogy of Big Finish audios featuring the sixth Doctor. That would be Seeds of War, The Wrong Doctors, and Spaceport Fear. Um, hang on, Michelle. I think it's uh, Wrong Doctors, Spaceport Fear, and Seeds of War. Oh, Tom, did you not notice? I parked the camper van in cauterized time this time, so nothing has to make sense. Ah, that explains everything. So, hello and welcome to this special episode of the Doctor Who podcast, um, where I am joined in the camper van by the lovely, the talented Michelle. And I've got the wonderful, eloquent, insightful Tom <laughs> on the other end. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I think that's what I normally am. I've borrowed that guy's body, um, but I'm not, <laughs> I, I'm, I, I hope that I can retain some semblance of being insightful and eloquent this week. We'll see how we get on. Well, this week isn't about borrowing bodies, but before we get into all the time travel that this week is about... What do you think of the new trailer for Day of the Doctor? I've been running all my life. Through time and space. Every second of every minute of every day for over 900 years. I fought for peace in a universe at war. Now the time has come to face the choices I've made in the name of the Doctor. Our future depends on one single moment of one impossible day. The day I've been running from all my life. The day of the Doctor. I knew that there was going to be a trailer played, but I hadn't. It, I managed to push it to the back of my mind, and I opened it up, and it was the lead story on the BBC website. So it was just the most beautiful thing I'd seen in months. It felt like right now the game is on, man. The game is on. From the, you know, from that first depiction of of the policeman, who some people are saying is Jonathan uh, John Hurt, bizarrely, all the way through the cameos of the doctors, the various doctors. I just sat there absolutely spellbound. It's beautiful. It's intriguing. It's interesting. And there's number. And there's Matt Smith, number eleven. Um, what I particularly liked about it, even at the first pass, was was I was thinking, I'm going to need to watch this again because it's it seems mm-hmm. to have been designed for uh, an internet and video, uh, an internet and uh, digital generation to do exactly what Doctor Who fans are going to do, which is go back, watch it frame by frame, and find all the little bits and pieces that are, that, that go to make. It up. How, do, how did you feel about it? Yeah, talk about Easter eggs for fans. You're right. You cannot fully enjoy that trailer without pausing it and, and <laughs> looking at every frame and everything that's in there, which is really a delight. And that, that's kind of a nice treat for fans. Do you think that what we saw in the trailer really has any bearing on what we'll see in the Day of the Doctor? Um I don't, I don't. I don't know. And this is the. And that's a good thing to be able to say. I don't know. I don't know how much of the story really got told there. I'm not sure that we got plot apart from I've been running all my life, and now it's the, now it's the day of the doctor. 
but I, I don't see that there was what there was really any plot. I mean, to me, it was just a, a lovely, a, a bit of a love letter to the fans. I would agree. I think it, it's kind of this celebration for the fans and a way of incorporating all the past doctors and so many of the, I mean, doctors, companions, and, and even little items like the different sonic screwdrivers and things that are in it. But uh, I have a hunch it, you know, as a lead up to the story itself, it probably doesn't have direct relevance to what the story will show us but it was still a a delight and if that's all we get Mm. before the actual airing i think that's wonderful because we will go into this ready for whatever the experience is without having been spoiled by anything going into it see do you know i think i think you're right i mean i i I would i would would make a parallel with um, something that happened in pop music Earlier on this year, David Bowie, a rock star with a 50-year career, or 40-year career, managed to release his first album in a decade without anybody knowing about it. And when it hit, you know, regardless of what we, of what we feel about the album, when it, when it hit, it was a massive event. Nobody knew, well, the band knew, his producers knew, he knew, but nobody else knew. Um, I, I likened the 50th anniversary to that because there's a little bit, there's a couple of bits and pieces that, you know, people have seen from outside filming, shots of a Zygon, but that. It nobody really know. the production team know, um, and, th- and maybe some journalists know, but that's it. No one else. We probably learned more from that poster image that was released than we did from from this trailer, mm. uh, which is which is fine. I'd, I'd love to think that very few people will actually know going into this what will happen, and that we can discover it all together mm. as a as fandom in much the same way that fandom rediscovered web of fear and enemy of the world together recently so what an emotional high that was and it'd be great to do it again on november 23rd i think so actually i've got to ask you i don't know if you've seen it some some of the um they're not really arguments they're sort of nitpicky complaints um about the relative amounts of coverage that each doctor got in the trailer do you have a view on any of that well i love to see any nod to the past doctors Mm. and i almost wonder whether this trailer was stephen moffat's only way of doing that going into the anniversary special um in a sense kind of to appease the fans although that makes it sound more negative than i want to but mm. here is our, here's our love letter to the fans as you said here's acknowledging all all of the past doctors mm. and we won't be able to do that in the special um, i don't know i could be wrong i'd love to be wrong but mm. i i know there are difficulties in terms of what they can and can't incorporate into the special mm. um and so I don't know, the relative times that were spent on each doctor, I mean, it was only a 60-second trailer. It was only a 60-second piece, so mm. never going to please everyone, but I was really happy to see that they were in there. Well, it, it, struck, it strikes me that what you get is you get a lot of a certain amount of William Hartnell, but then the other doctors, I won't say the forgotten doctors, but certainly number five, uh, number six, number seven, and number eight are I won't say t- tuned back, but they get one frame where someone like Tom Baker gets quite a bit of time. Um, but also, but, but then again, thinking about it, there's only a very, a very quick nod to Patrick Troughton. And I don't know if you noticed that the actor who, the depiction of uh, the third Doctor wasn't actually John Pertwee. Well, and I know they were using uh, kind of body doubles for a number of those. Mm. And uh, certainly I saw some excerpts somewhere online, images of, of the filming of this, where you could see, you know, they talked about getting a body double into place for this shot or that shot. Mm. So, um, you know, and that, yeah, of course, you'd love to have the original Doctors. I think that the celebration of the earlier Doctors is going to be done or has been done in a much more thorough and effective way mm. on audio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they don't, where they don't age in the same way. I know that the Doctor Who podcast has plans to do a, a full review of it and give it the attention that it deserves. 
for now, speaking of multi-doctor episodes, I don't know if multi-doctor counts, but certainly the first big finish release that we're going to look at today, The Wrong Doctors, mm. has multiple copies of a doctor. <laughs> Sorry, Mel. My earlier self and I have ascertained that I'm only remembering these events after they happened to him. We're in a pocket of time that's been cut off from the rest of the universe. Cauterized. And what happens in cauterized time stays in cauterized time. Neither of you should be here. This isn't how I met you. That's right. We need to put things back on track. You're the wrong doctors in the wrong place at the wrong time. Story of my lives. Died in the wall of hardcore fans will know that the introduction of Mel to Doctor Who is a little bit problematic because she arrives during the trial of a Time Lord and she doesn't really have an intro story. Uh, when we first meet her, it's assumed it's that she's been travelling with the Doctor for a very long time and they have a relationship underway. And at the end of the trial of a Time Lord, um, it seems that the Doctor's going to return her to a point in time or they're going to carry on their adventures. Um, now, Big Finish, uh, Matt Fitton, who's written this one, seek, seek to address this continuity blip, if you like, um, by giving us an, an indication of Mel's introduction story. What did you think of the story? I do want to admit, and I've heard a lot of criticisms from one, some quarters for this story, because it's very complex. You've got two sixth doctors, an older one and a younger one. You've got two Mel's, mm. older one and a younger one, and they're dividing up and pairing off and repairing off and switching back and forth and you're skipping between one and the other, it can be very difficult to follow exactly what's going on and who's doing what in this story. Yeah. And I'll, I'll acknowledge that off the bat. The first time I listened to it, which was a few months ago, I had heard folks struggled with it. Mm. And so I paid particular attention. This is one I gave more attention to than than maybe the average. And the first time through, I held on to the plot by, by my fingernails, mm. but got it. You know, I thought it was pretty good and had had the gut feeling that there was something good going on in there as well. Re-listening to it recently for the podcast, I actually sat down there and took notes through the whole thing. Now, I take <laughs> notes in, 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 in a TARDIS journal, of course. So it's about, you know, half the size of eight and a half by 11 paper. And I took 14 pages of notes wow. on the wrong doctor. But I got it. I got it. <laughs> I followed all the way through. And not only did I get it, but I discovered that layered in amongst this complex plot, there are some extraordinary character things going on. Mm. And I have just fallen in love with this story, although it took an effort to get there. What did you think? Um, I'm with you. The first time I listened to it, I'm used to listening to Big Finish in a, in a kind of vaguely trance state, because I listen to it as I'm driving um, to and from my places of work. So I, I never really, I don't really listen to it in the house. Uh, and most of the time, I can tune into the story enjoy it for the hour or so of journey and then tune out again what frustrated me a little bit with the wrong doctors was as you say there are two sixth doctors there are two mel's um and from a distance it's just about sensible but then it requ it actually requires you to concentrate so i'm not sure where my complaint is there um am i complaining that the story is actually a story for grown-ups probably that um mm. but the second time round, prepared that i had to concentrate a little bit harder i really really enjoyed it and i remember when we when, when we were planning this, I was thinking the wrong doctors. I know what I'm going to say about this. And then I listened to it again, and I'm pleased to say that I was completely wrong. It, it, hiding amongst the seeming levels of complexity is a really great story. Uh, it's very touching. And the most important thing, I think, 
about this story, because it's relatively recent, is that it allows Colin Baker to demonstrate what he had always said, which was he would start the sixth doctor by being very very te- very tetchy very brusque quite violent and he would soften him um and so what you've got here is the is is, is his original portrayal if you like of, of doctor number six but then he in as he's playing the older sixth doctor you get all of the softening and the coming of wisdom and the patience that's built up over the last few years through his audio portrayal so you actually get both ends of the spectrum you know that terribly shouty brusque man um and the and the thing that he becomes which is actually a doctor the other doctor he's safe thank you you you're different you're Nice. Ooh, nice. Nice. <laughs> well, I suppose that's what experience does for you. And good company. Um, similarly, Mel, who gets a rough ride from certain certain quarters of fandom. Again, Bonnie Langford's shown to be exactly what she really is. A, tr- a terrific actor. A really good actor. You know, the characterisation of Mel, um, the... You know, the there's a certain amount of pathos in there. So the way that the character develops mm-hmm. and what you feel for her by the time we get to uh, the end of the story, or at least what I felt for her by the end of the story, I was glad to say confirmed what I'd always believed uh, about uh, A, about Mel, and B, about Bonnie Langford, as much as she was only ever as good as the scripts that she was given. And when she's given a good script, she's good, very good indeed. Um, so, so, I, so I think this is, this is not a coming of age or in any real sense. It's more of a, more of a proving story. Um, Colin Baker is finally al- allowed to show the distance between where he started and where he and where he intended to go, and Bonnie Langford is given some great material to work through, uh, and we as fans are given something challenging to work with. Absolutely, and the the performances from the leads are just extraordinary in this, and it it opens with a very poignant moment of the Sixth Doctor just having left Evelyn and being on his own again, and thinking, well, you know, now's the time I need to go find Mel. <sighs> All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits. Exit Dr. Smythe. Oh, Evelyn. They have their exits and their entrances. It's time, I think. Time for Peas Pottage. Time for Miss Melanie Bush. <laughs> and one man in his time plays many arts. And then it, it has this beautiful kind of bookend where a sort of a similar thing is happening after they've had these experiences. Enough that I had a lump in my throat by the end of it. And if you can follow through this paying close attention to whether you're listening to the older or the younger doctor, and and in particular what the older Mel, who has already traveled with her doctor some, is saying about what she observes between the differences between the older and the younger doctor, mm. uh, I think I think it you will be rewarded, and it, it's it's worth the extra effort for the reward. I think we're, we're focusing very much on the Doctor and Mel. The supporting cast is very good in this too. Uh, there's, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a lovely, um, well, the, the, the chief villain uh, is particularly good. He reminded me very much of um, Nobody, No One. Uh, if anyone, mm-hmm. if anyone remembers that, because, because there's a there's a, sl- there's a very what's the word there. 
I, I hear actors saying that it's easier or more fun to play villains because they are just demented. Um, and there's nothing redeeming. There are no redeeming qualities about the villain in this at all. Um, and, as, and as such, it's absolutely delightful to listen to the actor going crazy. It's, he's, he's insane, uh, which, is, which is particularly good. And the, and, the, uh, and the business race, whose name escapes me for, the t- for, for a moment, um, were particularly good as well. If any of you, uh, if any, if any of you listeners work in a corporate environment, um, then you'll be aware of the the more patronising uh, element of business speak in which we are required to onboard key learnings from our training and business experiences. <laughs> uh, and that is wonderfully parodied in this. Facilitator, you can't seriously... There's always a need for manual labour at the practical end of the supply chain. The mines. I could network channel links all the way to Mardak Prime. The Venetian Distripi line. Oh, I can see the logo already. You're talking about slaves. <sighs> That's an ugly word. I prefer the term non-voluntary micro-budget functionary stakeholders. Uh, Mr. Petherbridge, let's dialogue. You know, I, I, I do a certain amount of work in the corporate space and I gnashed my teeth and, and was nodding and uh, was kind of glad to see how those people um, progressed through the course of the story, shall we say. And there were a couple other secondary characters, uh, an, an older woman and a young kind of roguish fella mm. that also had very meaningful story arcs through this. And by the time you got to the end of their characters and the final resolution to their storylines, again, lump in the throat kind of stuff. I'm really impressed with Matt Fitton's writing in this. Mm. He definitely has the ability to get how to write character Mm. uh, in a way that makes you connect with them. So uh, it wasn't too much to complain about if you can Hang on for the ride. Absolutely, I think maybe maybe this is one of the stories that proves that you can't you can't please all of the people all of the time. Some you know sometimes Doctor Who fans give it that this was too easy, it was too simplistic. Other times it's this is too complex. Like you can't please all the people. But if if, if you can be patient and you can hang on, as you rightly say, this is a good, definitely a good. Let's transition into a story that had a completely different feel to it. This one takes place uh, on a spaceport that has been in lockdown for about 500 years. Mm. This is called Spaceport Fear. Naismith, let me level with you. The water situation is much worse than is generally known. We will soon have no choice but to take control of the hydroponics garden and the water mills too. But business occupy the gardens. They do, and business have the waiver. Well, I don't know what I can do, sir. You are young and fast and agile. Scout the business garden, find where they are strongest and report back to me. We have such little time left, you must find us the way so that we can prepare to fight the business. Yes, sir. Look now, can you see along the walls there that faint glow? Candles? No, it's... Something else. Emergency strip lights will show you the way. Uh, but if business appears, get out of there fast. And Naismith. Sir? If you're caught, remember that the nearest way out may be behind you. Sir. 
Again, I really enjoy this one. Entirely different feel emotionally from, from the first one that we listened to. This one, boy, is kind of a relief in that it's a straightforward point A to point B story, which is a lot of fun once in a while. It's classic base under siege, except with the twist that these folks uh, and their descendants and descendants have been locked into this spaceport for so long that there are two categories. There's business and economy mm. that have developed cultures around the idea of business and economy, competing cultures, as it were. That business. They like to make their killings look like accidents, but make no mistake, it's merger. And and one of my favorite things about this story is this this society that, that the author, and in this case it's William Gallagher, has created. Um, th- their language is imbued with all of these nice nods to business or economy or airports. Uh, anyone who's ever been trapped in an airport Ugh, for a while yes. will, <laughs> will relate to these. If you're not business or economy, how did you get here? Well, this is arrivals. Don't you have visitors every day? Not like you, no. Arrivals is where we come from, where we're born. A maternity ward? I'm not going to ask what departures is. These whole cultures that have grown up, and, and of course in this one, um, the cultures are under threat. There's, there's a monster, there's a good old-fashioned Doctor Who monster, a whaler. I'm almost afraid to say it, but that sounded rather like a whale. I haven't heard that since I was carry-on. It took me a long time to realize it was W-A-I-L-E-R rather than <laughs> W-H-A-L-E-R. I was thinking there's this guy going to come out with a harpoon. But no, no, it's whaler as in whaling. It's the peak uh, <laughs> <laughs> But um, – and the doctor and Mel come in and, and have to kind of sort this out. Mm. Uh, I, I – I really enjoyed this one. What I really enjoyed about this story is it's told in the mould of several classic Doctor Who stories. Um, So if listeners have heard uh, Full Circle um, or Face of Evil or even State of Decay, then there's this lovely feeling of societies which have gone into lockdown and uh, and have almost progressed from a point of arrested development. Can you have that? Does that that, that work? Um, Progress from arrested development? I think so. so the whole society, as you rightly say, is built up around these ideas of business and economy and the language is wonderful. There's a particular moment where the lights come on uh, and it's referred to as a summer, which I thought was particularly good. Um, also, some really great misdirection going on. Uh, we, get, you know, we progress through the story by thinking we know who and what the villain is. And then there's a moment of, there are moments of genuine surprise when um, the villain is revealed to be other than who, who, what seems obvious, um, and the reveal is done is done very very skillfully. Uh, I think Beth Chalmers does some voices in this, and I'm I'm, mm-hmm. I'm personally very fond of her um, of her work. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's it's a great story. I mean, you, you've you've got Mel and the Sixth Doctor actually interacting like a great a doctor, like, like one of the great Doctor companion pairings, and it seems and it seems right to me. Colin Baker was always a great actor. Bonnie Langford again. Um, Maybe handicapped by the strength of some of her earlier roles outside Doctor Who, uh, and her and, and and her musical theatre career. But again, you've got just two good actors getting right into the script uh, and doing nothing other than a great Doctor companion pairing. I agree, and I you know I still haven't seen some of Mel's TV stories, so I, I've mostly heard her on Big Finish, where just like the Sixth Doctor that they softened and and, and developed, they're 
kind of been doing the same thing for Mel, I think, and she's very much benefited from it. I've liked Mel, and and even the stories I have seen her on now in the television series, Mm. uh, I think I come in with an appreciation. She's got such a good heart. Mm. She's a really good companion for the doctor because she wants the best for things. She she's and, and she'll do whatever it takes to help him make things right. Speaking of the best, one of the things I like about this story is it it does have a heart to it. It does have kind of a moral or a theme. And in this case, it's about, you know, these two sides that need to get along. And why can't we get along? And and specifically, why can't we trust each other? Then who exactly can we trust? Me. Us. Everyone. Why not start by trusting everyone and wait for them to prove you wrong? Well, that's what I do. I think that that's kind of the heart that goes through this, and and I really like that in this story, and I love it when a Doctor Who story has sort of a, a deeper level or a universal concept that it that it explores. Let, let, let's think. I mean, do, do you think this story was overly simplistic, though? I think that in the world of Doctor Who, it is wonderful to have some stories that are relatively straightforward. I'm not sure I'd go so far as to say simplistic, because, especially because of all the cultural stuff mm. that this is set in. But yeah, I mean, this one makes sense. You can follow it. It's sweet. Mm. I don't think it's patronizing to the listener in in any way. Yeah, I'll go with that. And again, blessed uh, with a particularly effective villain. Um, Another another male villain, another older male villain, but voiced by a character actor, Ronald Pickup. Um, And there's there's something very... I think think we kind of know that there's, there's... the kind of, the fear generated by someone ranting and raving at you is one kind of fear, but there's nothing more frightening than someone speaking very quietly and threatening you with absolute certainty, which is exactly what we get in this. So yeah, again, I feel terrible. We're not just just so the listeners know, we're not on the payroll for Big Finish in any way. Um, but late, <laughs> but lately they have turned out a run of particularly good stories, and these two and these two are part of a good of a really good trilogy. Well, let's look at uh, number three. Number three takes us actually back to the writing of Matt Fitton, this time in cooperation with Nick Briggs. Mm. So this is the third part in the trilogy of stories that we're looking at. This is Seeds of War. At the moment, the captain has you pegged as eminence spies. You know as well as I do, Lieutenant. The eminence doesn't need spies. It just occupies the mind of those it chooses. Well, look at me. Is my skin cracked and grey? Are my eyes aglow with fire? Do I speak with the voice of death? No! I am not under the influence of the eminence, and never will be! Right, now, we've talked a lot um, about character development for uh, the Sixth Doctor and the character of Mel, and I've got to say, the thing which really stands out for me, or even at the first listen, was the way that the two characters were growing together at the beginning of the story. I mean, all the way through, there's this tension where... Mel is making promises on behalf of the Sixth Doctor. And mm. it becomes a little embarrassing initially, but then really concerning because the Doctor's not as. One of the things I like about the Doctor is he's not a superhero. I mean, of late he's become a bit of a superhero. He can fly and, you know, he can fly, he can travel the vortex without a capsule and all this wonderful stuff. But Colin Baker was always very much, seemed to me to be quite grounded. Um, and there are certain things that the Doctor cannot do. He cannot raise the dead. You know, he can't, he, he can't do some things. And you've got this unquestioning faith from Mel in the, in the first half of uh, this story, which really begins to grate on me as a listener, and then, but more importantly, on the Doctor. 
Get him on the table. Quickly, Doctor. Dad! Dad, what's happened to him? No sign of a pulse. He was trying to get to the ship. He just killed over. He stopped breathing, Doctor. Well, I'll try to restart his heart. Barlow, mouth to mouth when I say. Please, please help him. If anyone can help him, the Doctor can. Mel, please stop making promises on my behalf. And I thought, well, this is great because now this is character development. I mean, you, for those um, listeners who, uh, who who are in relationships or have been, well, of course, everyone's in a relationship, even if, if we're, even if it's with parts of your own personality, there comes the moment where you must confront the person you're in a relationship with and and fight with them and say, right, okay, well, now the quality of this relationship is not that we had a fight, because you're going to have a fight with people, but the qu- now we find out how much we love each other by seeing, well, how willing are we to try and make this work? Um, and how many times do you go back, and how many times do you say sorry, and how many times do you try and fight it out? And that's exactly what's going on with this particular story here. You know, th- these two great friends fall apart, uh, and, then the question- and then the quality of their relationship is shown by how they seek to redress that particular schism, I think. To be honest with you, when it came to the characterization in this story, perhaps not only of, of the Doctor and Mel, but of, of the other characters, it worked less well for me than the first two that we've listened to. Um, this one, it felt a little bit strained, and I know there was some tension that was intentionally built, like you talked about. But, uh, for instance, at the very end of this one, there is what is meant to be another poignant scene, like we saw written and delivered so well in The Wrong Doctor's, but in this one, it felt to me just a little forced, mm. um, and I, I wasn't quite there emotionally with everybody in this story the way that I had been with the other two, and I don't know if that's because it was a a collaboration or, or you know, mm. just so, sometimes you strike genius and sometimes it's it's just reasonably good, but um, I, I, yeah, I had a little bit of a, a harder time with this one. Yeah, well, okay. In fairness, the scape, the scape is quite large. I mean, we go we go from a we go from this giant hotel complex um, and some pretty cataclysmic events. Certainly at the end of episode one, where, where for the first time in a while, I was thinking, how on earth are they going to get out of this? Um, mm. But then, but then we have these huge vistas as well. You know, suddenly we're, we're on the starving planet and we're moving across time as well. There's also mention of with the with the big bad, if you like. Um, there's also the clear. Um, Indication that the doctors met them before, but we haven't met, the, but we haven't seen the doctor meeting them yet, which is great because it sort of pushes us forward into another story arc. I like the quality of the storytelling in this. I like the scope of the storytelling. Um, the characterization is pretty good, but I, I've got to be honest. I'm, I'm mostly, I was mostly focused on the doctor's trajectory through this. Um, so although there are there, there are some quite interesting uh, subplots going on for me, it's most this is mostly about the doctor, and yeah, it, it's it's big. It's a good end to a trilogy, but it also seeds um, the beginning of another trilogy. Ooh. I know, I know, I know. Um, so it's quite, it's kind of rewarding as well because you know that you're going to have to come back to this. Um, and yeah, I, you know, of all the Doctors, certainly on audio, um, I think the Sixth Doctor is the most fallible. Uh, he's, you know, he's, I say most fallible. He's the one who seems mo- most most human, if you like. Um, the fifth Doctor seems to, in audio seems to have become quite grumpy. Not a bad thing. Um, the seventh, you know, the seventh again is telling a different story. But Colin Baker, the sixth Doctor, is, is there's a lot, of, a hell of a lot of development. Well, I think of the end of his time with Charlie Pollard. It's so sad. Um, and in this, where we, when it's revealed that the Doctor hasn't has met these people before, and you see its effect on him again, it's a very humanized 
or humanistic reaction that is, to me, quite sad. Yeah, and you know, it's worth talking a little bit about the big bad. The the new big bad that's introduced in this is called the eminence. Can someone tell me what it is, this eminence? Nobody knows, not really. We just saw what he could do. A gaseous intelligence capable of transporting itself across the galaxy housed inside teleportation caskets. Whenever the infinite warriors extended their front, the eminence would send another casket, force its slaves to breathe in the breath of forever. An orange mist containing the essence of the eminence. Anyone who breathes it in is transformed into an infinite warrior. A what? An invincible walking cadaver. All memory of its human life is gone. The skin calcifies. An orange energy burns from within, through the eyes, through the cracks in the skin. That's horrible. You know, it reminded me a whole lot of the great intelligence, to be honest with you. Um, As you say, one of the intriguing things about this is that we're dumped in the middle of the story. Mm. The the doctor refers to the fact that he has met this, this being before and... That's a story for another day, as he says. <laughs> so I would anticipate that we'll hear a story somewhere in the future from a doctor before the sixth doctor who has met the eminence. But I know, and, and this has been there, – there's been an article about this in the latest Doctor Who magazine. Big Finish has revealed that in the Dark Eyes 2 stories coming up, um, the eminence will be one of the one of the evils to be addressed during that. So certainly a creature that we're going to see. I'm not even sure if creature is the right term for it. We don't know that much about it yet, but something that's going to be followed up on in future stories. I wasn't swept away by the eminence, so I'm hoping, since, since it's going to be coming back, that uh, I'll get more and more impressed by it. But I do give Big Finish credit for it's kind of interesting to be dropped in as a listener partway through the doctor's timeline with this creature uh, what i like what i like about the evidence is just, is there's clearly something more to discover um i like that there's more to be known and that we do not know everything i, I like this I, I like the trajectories that uh, audios take us on i like that um, there are companions in this little world of cauterized time in this little world on this little audio audio world. but i i like that there is more to be discovered Okay, they might they might seem at first pass a little uh, vague. The eminence might seem a little vague, but to be to be honest with you, I, I know that they're coming back. I, I do hope Dark Eyes Two is a bit more relaxed and directional than Dark Eyes One. Uh, but yeah, it'll it'll be good to hear a bit more about where the eminence came from and what they're up to. Um, in a group of three, there's got to be one which is but which which works better for you than the other two. Wh- which was your favourite of these three? Ooh, you know, I really enjoyed the first two, but on different levels. Mm. Um, I think The Wrong Doctors has so much going for it in the way that it delves into the character of the Sixth Doctor and Mel mm. and celebrates those characters. That in terms of a great story, I don't know, maybe I'd have to give my nod to that. Mm. But Spaceport Fear was just so purely enjoyable mm. um, and and accessible, for that matter, that I, I have a lot of respect for that one, too. But I guess... On second listen, I'd go for the wrong doctors. How about you? Um, I really like the wrong the wrong doctors. Um, my least favourite of the remaining two would be yeah, Spaceport Fear, because it you, you do it and you listen to it, and it's 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 really good. It's better than No Doctor, but there's some real stiff competition from the other two from the other from the other two stories here. Um, because the wrong doctor tells me some the wrong doctors tells me something about the show and answers some questions that I didn't realize that i had i'm going to go with that because i i enjoyed um the continuity links being made 
Okay, well, talking about the continuity between Mel and and the Sixth Doctor and their time together, I'm going to take advantage of this bubble of cauterized time that we're in to take us back quite a bit earlier in the Mel and Sixth Doctor on audio story to the Juggernauts, which is a story that Ian and I had a chance to review not long ago. Big finish with Ian and Michelle from across the Atlantic Ocean. Ian from the UK and Michelle from the United States. Reviewing Big Finish, sorting out the wheat from the chaff and nonsense, saving you money on the ones that are not so good. Well, hello, Ian. Uh, why don't you pick a number between 1 and 100? Um, 42. Wrong. Well, that may be the answer to life, the universe, and everything, but in this case, this is release number 65 from Big Finish's main range, The Juggernauts. I didn't require, nor did I request your help, is it? You are not rescued, Doctor! You have been recruited! I'm sorry. I didn't know I actually cared. Recruited for what, exactly? To prevent the creation of a future threat to the Daleks! Does this remind you of anything? Yes, in fact, I've had this conversation on the cast before, and indeed with Scott, the, the author of this piece, who we met at Gallifrey. I, I, I happened to listen to this for the first time just about a week before the Asylum of the Daleks preview, and there are a lot of parallels between these two. The fact that the Daleks contact the Doctor and bring him in to do something, and then when he gets there, he finds a female companion with a, some sort of strange perception filter going on that uh, she can't see what's really going on around her. And uh, I think both Scott and us did ponder whether someone had been inspired by this story. In this case, the doctor is the sixth doctor, Colin Baker, and the, the companion is Melanie. It's a great story for Mel. I think she's a much maligned companion, and in this she gets to be the computer programming expert that becomes crucial in the story. She has a bit of a romance. Even Davros seems to have a bit of a thing for her, which is a little creepy. But uh, yeah, I think one of the strong things about this story was Mel's role in it. Absolutely. She goes on a great arc through this. She's actually quite pivotal to the plot. She drives it forward. She's smart and intelligent uh, in the way she's doing things. And she's got value to people. All things that the real Melanie in the show didn't really have. And I can't say this is uh, my, my favourite companion ever, but certainly in this story she's a lot stronger than she was in the series itself. This also does a little bit for that for Davros, who features heavily in this story. This is, is slotted in between Revelation of the Daleks and Remembrance of the Daleks and helps explain some of the things that are happening on sort of in the backstory of Davros and the Daleks in between those two. I'm a, I'm a fan of Davros. I enjoy him when he comes along, and particularly Terry Malloy, who in this gets to play both as a sort of fairly straight human through the perception filter and also as a sort of the rabid... Davros, and that's a lovely sort of two-parter, similar to the um, the Davros series that we reviewed last year, which is also written by uh, part of it was written by Scott. Also, much to my surprise, the mechanoids made an appearance in this. They are actually on the cover of the CD, which I didn't look at. So the mechanoids get their treatment from Big Finish in a way that perhaps gives them a little more character as well. A, a real fun dip into the past. It was fun. I thought they were a touch superfluous because they get used very much as just more Daleks. Uh, and the other thing I had a slight problem with with the mechanoids was that it's maybe accurate to how things were in the original uh, episode, but their voices, I thought, were very hard to make out on audio, and I struggled quite a lot to understand what they were saying. One input, hundred, one, enter. Do you understand me? English, enter, stop. I'll assume that's a yes. <laughs> 
I did find them especially creepy in this in a way that, that they weren't in the, in the TV series. A doctor, look, this juggernaut is leaking oil. Mel, quickly, help me get this casing open. <laughs> That's not oil, Mel. It's blood. Human blood. What? Overall, I, I found this to be a very enjoyable story. I'm not a big fan of Mel, I'm not a big fan of The Sixth Doctor, but both were strong in this, and it was a good, fun story. If I had a complaint, though, I thought towards the end, the, the, the various different factions and their different machinations against each other started to get a little bit confusing to try and keep together in my head, and I, I found that the resolution was a touch uh, hard to follow, but an enjoyable story. There were sections of it that, that dragged a little, or a whole section with, with investors that probably could have been lost, but uh, all in all, definitely one I'd recommend and a little gem from uh, the past. I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not a big Dalek fan. I get how important they are, but it's interesting to, to to hear that there's at least something original going on in in the Juggernauts that might even threaten to rewrite early Doctor Who history with the Mechanoids. Well, I tell you, there are so many times now that I see a storyline introduced in Big Finish that I that I later see appearing in the new series, and I imagine some of that is just <laughs> parallel evolution with with writers having similar ideas. But some of it has got to be that these writers are steeped in the older Big Finish stories, and uh, it, it's seeping into what they're re envisioning for the TV series. But uh, yeah, I think oftentimes Big Finish gets there first. Mm, I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. I mean, the other thing, of course, is that. In the, in the main, the, um, the writers are huge fans of the show, and if you're a fan of the show, then you'll eat up the big finish stuff. Um, now, I'm not I'm not going to accuse anybody of plagiarism because that would be uh, libelous. Uh, was it libelous or slanderous? Um, but yeah, it, there has to be a certain amount of cross pollination going on in this. I don't think it's a bad thing at all. I'd rather if a story's good, I'd I'll, I'll listen to it three or four times. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Tom, it's been a delight to get together with you and talk Big Finish. I would do that any time. Well, do, do you know, it, it, it's definitely fun. We have to find something we don't agree on, though. This is ridiculous. It's far too, far <laughs> too civilised. No, no, you know what they say about great minds. Well, yeah, absolutely. But, but similarly, idiots don't differ. <laughs> So, listeners, what can we say? Clearly, the party has started. Um, next week, well, 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 we'll keep it a bit of a surprise what's going on next week. But uh, in the meantime, I'm personally going to go back and watch the trailer again and try and pick out some more uh, some more little uh, little Easter eggs. My favourite favorite one that I've seen so far was the, um, uh, the reflection of Sarah Jane, actually not being a reflection of her, mm. but being of Susan. Oh, nice, 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 nice. Well, I'm going to take this week to go back and listen to The Light at the End. Ah! Talk to you later. Take it easy. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Big Finish podcast with no, 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 Trev, Trev, no, no, not the Big Finish podcast. It's not, not. No, no, the Doctor Who podcast. Oh. You've been listening to the Doctor Who podcast with Tom and Michelle. You can find more episodes of the show at thedoctorwhopodcast.com or check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or drop by the Doctor Who podcast forums and say hi. Thanks for listening. See you later. <laughs>